Well, hello everyone and welcome to Insight with Political Tours and Beyond the Headlines. It's rare that a week goes by without North Korea appearing in the headlines. Yet very few people have any idea of what it's actually like to live there. Today, we're speaking with someone who can give us an exceptional inside view of the state. Unhee Park is a remarkable woman who escaped from North Korea through incredible ingenuity. In a moment, she's going to be telling us her story. She's joined by the founders of Teaching North Korean Refugees, a charity dedicated to helping escapees from the North learn new skills. They're Unko Lee and Casey Lartigue. They're all going to be speaking to us from TNKR's offices in Seoul. So first of all, I want to say a big hello to, to you all. I think we've just got Unhee there to start. Hello, Unhee. Hello. Thank you for having me. And then it's nice to talk with you. We're, we're honored to have you here. It's going to be, you've got a fascinating talk coming up. So um, in a moment, we're going to talk to Unhee. And then we'll also talk with Casey Unko. Um, about TNKR's work, and then we'll go on to, to, to Q&A. So everyone, please, please do stay on for Q&A. If you've got questions, look at the bottom of the box, just down at the bottom here, and you'll see the Q&A bubble. Just type in your questions there, and then we can put those questions to Unhi, and we can come to you, and we can put your microphone on as well. And then at the end of our discussion, um, we'll say goodbye to Unko, Unhi, and Casey, uh, and then we're able to have our own discussion internally. So if you want to stay on for that discussion afterwards, you're welcome to. Now, Unhi, I know you've got a talk prepared for us. So I'm going to ask everyone to sit back and listen to a bit and listen for a bit. It's going to be a great privilege to hear your story. Unhi, thank you. Thank you. It's a so honor to talk, but it's a little bit outside because I have to talk with the screen, but I can see you all of them, but I'm so happy. So I'm going to talk about my journey of escaping and just a little glimpse of my South Korean adjustment and how I, I can stand up with the North Korean identity. That is my topic today. So hello, everyone. My name is Eunhee Park, and I was born in 1991 in the city of Wonsan which is uh, on the east coast of North Korea. And also don't forget, Kim Jong-un was born there. So the world news came out, he died, he was there. And then watching and then just maybe laughing of international news, you know. But I, I didn't even know he was born there when I was in North Korea because the Kim's family history is it's very secret for people. And when I came to South Korea, I realized, that, wow, Kim Jong was born there. Should I pride, pride, uh, proud of this or not? I was so confusing, actually. So it's, uh, my hometown is near Gunggang Mountain, which is very famous mountain. And Songdawon Beach also many travelers from all over the world visit every summer. I lived there uh, for 22 years, and I escaped from North Korea in 2012 for freedom. So the freedom for me means being able to express myself and be outspoken. It means thinking for myself and being free to be curious. When I was in North Korea, I would get in trouble for doing something as simple as wearing earrings. What I do now, it's, it's not allowed to do it. And uh, clothes, 
that stood out. As a punishment, I was forced to stand up in the police station for seven hours without food or water. I've also been beaten by the police for trying to escape. This emphasizes the lack of freedom I endured. Every time I walked out of the house, I was so afraid to get caught by the police because of the clothes I wore. I thought these, punish, uh, these punishments were normal until I illegally watched the South Korean dramas and American movies. People in these dramas I was so free and joyful. I began to compare my life in North Korea to theirs. Why did I have to punishment for full expression of my personality? We only live once, so I decided that I had a better chase my dream to go to another country where I could live as a human being. Some people may think that the mention of being upset and not dressing the way I wanted in North Korea is a superficial concern, but the matter goes deeper than that. By escaping, I was looking to find my identity as a human being and to defy the North Korean dictatorship and its brainwashing regime. Escaping wasn't easy. It took a long time to prepare. I crossed the North Korean border to China. I was so scared the police would catch me. My heart was beating fast, but I had to escape China as well. As I was making my way through China, I faced a sexual assault and I couldn't say anything because it was too dangerous as I didn't want to be caught and sent back to North Korea. Finally, I made, it, I made it to the border of China and Laos. It took seven hours hiking through the mountains to cross the into Laos. This was the most difficult mountain in a difficult moment in my life. I began regretting my decision to leave North Korea. The smugglers in Laos, Laos had, to, uh, had us cross the Mekong River to get to Thailand. Once in Thailand, we were put in jail with the real criminals while waiting for refugee status. Finally, after almost 50 days, we are taken to South Korea, where we are held for three months. While our police checked, we are not North Korean spies. After that, I was required to spend three months learning about South Korean culture in a government-run re-education center for North Korean refugees. I thought I would be very happy when I came to the south. When I came to the south, no one could control me. So I often dreamed about dressing freely, and studying what I wanted, and going around the world. However, I wasn't on my own. I also had to pay back seven thousand dollars to a, a smuggler who helped me escape North Korea. I really needed a job to survive, so I found a job at a bakery. I thought if I work hard, I can save money and also I can travel where I want to go. Uh, but after one month, I got fired because uh, there are lots of lots of Konglish words and I never heard. And even the breads I never eat, ate before in North Korea. It's, in North Korea, we only very simple bread name like uh, cornbread and milk bread. That's all. But in South Korea, 
it's apple pie and pizza bread. And I don't even remember now. I would not go back to work at a bakery anymore. <laughs> so I found a job, it's at chicken restaurant. It was much easier than working at a bakery because it just if you know spicy and not spicy, you can continue work. That was my job. <laughs> And also I found I had to study because for to get the certification, if you are from North Korea, you don't have any experience of the capitalism. So the honors cannot offer. And then they will consider about me, she's gonna work hard or not. She doesn't have any knowledge about the capitalist. So I had to study and after the, uh, after the restaurant and after my, the company, so I had a three job. Uh, after work, I had to go to the barbecue restaurant. Korean barbecue is very famous. And <laughs> during weekend, also I worked with the fish market. And uh, and then I have the the or I worked at a company. So I had a three job for three years. And after three years, I got tuberculosis because I didn't eat much and also I had to dedicate to work to save money. I had to pay back to my smugglers. It was just so hard for me at the time because it's, I thought the tuberculosis is almost a bad disease in North Korea. There are not many treatments, but in South Korea, I didn't know that. I just, I was crying a lot. I was crying and oh my God, I didn't even enjoy my freedom. But I, am I gonna die soon? And the doctor's mind said, hey, you're not going to die. It's just tuberculosis, just eat well and take a medicine and you will be fine. And I just stopped crying. Wow, so am I gonna alive if I take a medicine? And he said, yeah, of course, it's nothing in South Korea. But in North Korea, people died due to tuberculosis. There is the proper treatment and people cannot eat very well. That's, that was my struggling when I came to South Korea. And also I was just so sh ashamed that I'm a North Korean because as a minority person, uh, you will be criticized due to your identity of North Korean. And people like might think about it, oh, she's from North Korea. She's uh, not educated because she was born there. That is the, it's North Korean image, image isn't good in North South Korea. So I didn't want to talk about uh, where I'm from. But when I met TNKR, I was just so surprised. Many people dedicate to help North Koreans. And I, I really desperately, I really want to like learn English because it's due to my past experience of bakery, I needed to learn English. And I found TNKR, I joined in 2015. And at the time, like I didn't sleep well uh, because I was so excited to learn English. And I met volunteer teachers, and I saw how dedicate how people dedicated to help North Koreans. And I thought about it: why they are helping North Koreans without any compensation? It doesn't like it doesn't make sense for me. And I thought about them: okay, now what I'm gonna do for them? And then I found my answer: okay. If I share my story, what I had in North Korea, it will help them who need uh, to hear about North Korea. So I will pay back to them. So I found my identity. Also, I learned English from TNKR. And also it gives me 
the other perspective of life. That's why I'm here to share my story with you. Well, <laughs> thank you very much, Minhee. Uh, um, we've got a huge amount to talk about. There are tons and tons of questions. And um, a lot of those questions are about um, your life there, how you escaped, why you escaped, also about how you survived in North Korea when there's very little availability of food, where there's very little freedom, yet you were very, very enterprising. And I know you've got an incredible story to tell about that. And we'll come on to that in a second. But what I'd like to do is bring Casey um, mm -hmm. and Unko in here now. Uh, and they'll, they'll, you'll have to shuffle up a bit and you'll, because I think there are three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hi, Casey. I think that's Casey coming in. Hi, Unko. Um, so you, you are the founders of, uh, of TNKR. And I think what some people may know, um, and um, Unhi referred to it, is that North Korean refugees have a very tough time in South Korea. There's a lot of prejudice against them and they are very marginalized. And also many of them struggle to enter into this very complex, you know, life in, in a sort of Western capitalist style um, economy. And it's a struggle for many of them. And that's something that you help them deal with. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. And also I want to know a bit more about how the, the number of refugees changing, the flow of those refugees changing and what kind of people are escaping from North Korea. So a lot of questions for you, but Casey, yes. Rico, welcome and, and tell me a bit more. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for um, featuring TNKR and also inviting Unyi on. Um, first of all, I just want to say that um, when I see her speaking, it's always amazing to me. Uh, I remember when she first joined us in April of 2015 uh, at the ABC level of English, uh, that she did not show her face publicly. She did not admit that she was from North Korea. And uh, to now, I mean, just look at her, just talking like this and telling her story. Uh, just one of those wonderful moments um, for us as an organization and as people leading it. Um, about South Korea, a lot of refugees do struggle. And just to give you an idea, um, of those North Korean refugees who start at universities here, about 28% drop out of college. And that's compared to about 4.5% of South Koreans. And that even those who do graduate, about 44% of North Korean refugees would take a leave of absence. And 33% of them say that the main reason is because of English. Uh, foreign languages, but mainly because of English. Um, so there are all kinds of uh, types of reasons that they struggle. Uh, as far as our organization, we first started this because of North Korean refugees asking if we could help them with English. Uh, so there are lots of challenges that they have, but English is the thing that they were saying that they really need. Um, so that's the thing that we've been focused on since we started back in 2013. Yeah. Right, you want to say anything? So adding on one more thing that the, we didn't help the, the, this area, but the, one of the things is that the discrimination. This is we cannot solve by ourselves is with the uh, all together by the South Koreans to understand about North Korean refugees. Uh, but uh, because of they are from North Korea, because the South Korean uh, uh, very automatically they can uh, recognize where they are from based on the, their accent, then is kind of uh, perception of North Korean refugee here. So North Korean refugees also face some discrimination uh, by the South Korean people as well. Mm. So Casey, you also talked about the fear, I mean, not wanting to show your face. I mean, why is that? 
uh, a variety of reasons. Uh, one is because of the North Korean regime that it will target North Koreans who escape. It doesn't target the ones who've actually escaped. It goes after their family members in North Korea. Uh, so one reason a lot of people are fearful of showing their faces is because of uh, family members being compromised. Uh, another reason is what I already mentioned before about Eunhee, um, that there's just some stigma because South Koreans will look at the news, they'll read anything bad about North Korea, and then they'll blame the people. Uh, I think that there's something wrong with them uh, as people. So that's another major reason I want to mention. Mm, yeah, right, yeah, okay. right. Mm -hmm. So they, they just want to be a, just normal people mm -hmm. as a human being, but uh, uh, they kind of stigma that I'm from North Korea, then people think about that kind of the negative image of uh, North Koreans, mm -hmm. yeah. And who is who is leaving North Korea? I mean, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. I mean, you to amass all that money to pay people smugglers um, to actually traveling between. I know that traveling between one city and another in North Korea is very, very difficult. You have to have a pass. Uh, there are no mm -hmm. buses. Um, you have to have a pass to get on a train. Um, so if you're going from one city to another, you risk being sent back or arrested just for being away from your home. So it's an in incredibly difficult thing to do. So what are the kind of people who are managing to get out? Can you tell us just a, yeah. a little bit about their stories? Because you, you encounter dozens of them. Right, I'll let her explain that. But uh, first of all, just as a bit of context, uh, in about the last 20 years, about 34,000 North Korean refugees have escaped to South Korea. And there's still a lot in China, um, but the flow has slowed down. Um, in two, the year 2009, about 2,900 North Korean refugees made it to South Korea. But after Kim Jong-un took power, uh, one thing he wanted to do is to stop people from escaping. So that is gone from about 2,900 to barely over 1,000. So a lot of people have been stopped from being able to get the freedom. Um, okay, yeah. So is it uh, specifically the demographic, the, the numbers that, the, yeah, demographic, is it the, more than 70% are female, mm -hmm. uh, female of the North Korean refugees. And then also the reason, the motivate the why they escape from North Korea. But during the 1990s, is the main reason is finding food. So the people need a, who need the food and they, they, they flew to the China. Then very insecure situation in China, then they came to South Korea. But now is already many North Korean refugees came already and settled down in South Korea. So the the, the people who already escaped and settled down in South Korea, they uh, they they talk to the, their family in North Korea, then talk about their freedom life. Then the family also because of the, the family in South Korea, they came to South Korea. So the main reason nowadays is finding freedom, not then the finding food. So that is a big change, the motivation from North Korean people. Well, I want to thank you both very much. We're going to put TNKR's um, details up on the end of the um, at the end of the briefing here. Um, and you, yeah. if you get, if you go to that link, and we'll also be sending this link out by email. So if you go to the link, you can donate to TNKR. Oh, and fantastic! Do, do, yes, and they do do great work. We've visited their offices in Seoul. Uh, and I think it's I think it's admirable. So thank you both very much indeed. Um, okay. I think we're gonna. Uh, I know people are dying to ask Unhi <laughs> questions, okay. so we're gonna play musical chairs again, and you're gonna swap. <laughs> okay. Unhi, come here. 
So I thought I thought possibly the the interesting thing to do the first thing to do would be to talk about your route out of um, North Korea and then I want to ask you how you came to that really difficult decision to leave what made you think a I want to go a and b it's possible and how do I do it um, so can you talk about 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 that a bit first and then we'll show you them then we'll show the map because we've got a map showing your route but just to start with when did you start thinking i don't like this anymore i can go and then start planning it okay so when i was 17 it was the first idea that i want to be free due to the the lack of freedom uh, as i mentioned in my speech i said there is no freedom to wear what i want watch and then i couldn't walk freely even in my hometown that I was born there, but I couldn't street freely. And there are lots of policies to check what I wear. And every time when I go out, I, I was so afraid to go out. So check, is there the policy to check me or not? And also just scan off my, my all clothes all the time. And also I got punishment to stand up over seven hours. Mm. But when I watch the, the South Korean drama, the woman has long hair, even yellow color. And then it blonde my eyes and wow, they have a different color. They are Korean, but how they could to change their color. But it's in, uh, during 2008, also the elites of people who have money know that there are something, the chemi uh, chemical stuff to change your hair color. So, and then I went to market with my cousin and then dye my hair. And mm. one of my professor asked me, hey, why your hair is yellow? And well, I was born with that. And is there <laughs> any chemical stuff to change the color? I just pretend not to know. And I got like uh, the idea from the TV and from the, the media, including South Korean drama. And I learned the Americans are, uh, it's a, uh, the evils to kill human beings but when i watch the, the american movies what wow, they can fall in love the men protect protect the woman and i <laughs> saw that wow they are human beings and i just like think about the normal lives as a human being and ask myself i'm a human being and that i cannot do that and i asked my grandma i want to be free because i'm a woman but i couldn't be pretty it's 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 not fair. That's it's why not, I decided to somebody outside of North Korea. That sounds like a crazy idea that you should you want to escape because of earrings and clothes. But I think you said yeah. one more thing that's very interesting. You talked about the markets and you talked mm -hmm. about DVDs and videos coming in. And, yeah. and I think I've spent time in North Korea and we've we've interviewed a lot of people like you. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really come across is that that shift um, from about 2009, 2010, the beginning of this uh, of the last decade, in which you see more and more Western goods coming into North Korea, and also people, people like you, becoming entrepreneurs. And I think that's a really, really important point. Can you just talk a bit about your business and what you were doing and how you started to earn money? Because there's no way you could have escaped without earning money. Yeah, so it's uh, the during 90s, lots of people died due to famine. It's because of hunger. And then the woman realized that if I rely on the government, we could, we could die. 
so they build their business and in our generation we don't believe the government anymore we don't care so when i was in north korea i was bus conductor with my mom's sister so in south korea there is no bus conductor you just touch the your car and then you can pay for it mm -hmm. but in north korea it's all uh, it's manually work so you have to get money from customers that is what i do with my mom's sister so i can uh, get a money from my mom's sister and sometimes i manage my money so i can use what i want to buy and you created your you actually created your own private business no it's uh it's uh, from my mom's sister but actually my uncle was uh, was the richest guy in my hometown he imported cars from japan because at that uh, time it's the lots like north korea and mm. japan has mm. trade-off mm. so in the some way you were quite lucky you were quite lucky yeah, so my uncle gave uh, the big boss to my mom's sister so we could build the business. Right, so that, that's the important point, that the bus was actually a private business. It wasn't a state business. Yeah. Because yeah. there you're seeing um, people like you setting up their own businesses, mm -hmm. which are unofficial, they're not part of the state, not, you know, uh, but yet they're, they're working from day to day, which I think yeah, is right. Yeah, let's have, no a, let's, have look, let's have a look at that map. Um, we've got a map here. That shows mm -hmm. your your um route out of here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how did you find this? <laughs> yeah. Look at look at these distances. They're huge. They're absolutely huge. Yeah. Now, one one san. If you look at the border between North and South Korea, um, I think mm -hmm. everyone's familiar with that. One san is on the right hand side. It's it's on the Sea of Japan, uh, and it's quite it's quite close to the border. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, Unhi has to get all the way from the south border all the way up to china can you tell us about that how did you do it it's actually my hometown is uh, very near from south korean border so it could be nice if i could cross the border <laughs> so it, it, it wouldn't take us so much it's 50 <laughs> days and then i took uh the preparation of four years but when when you go to the cross the south korean border you will all uh, be die easily I had to go to the northern part of North Korea. It's called Yangang province. And I was there for two months. And I, I finally, uh, the 2012 in uh, September, that's um, like a rainy season. So I had to uh, wait to just uh, decrease the water. So in September, I crossed the river to go to China and crossed the, the through China for seven days. But it was very dangerous at the time because in China, it's it's unsecure. Like the police catch catch us and they send back to us to Korea. Only what did you tell your grandmother? What did you tell your family? Because you, I mean, if you if you let them know, I mean, what did you say? Oh, I just directly asked my grandma uh, because it's uh, my grandma and my grandfather uh, visited China for several times because my grandfather was born in South Korea. So he always uh, wanted to go back to see his hometown, and he always told me, "I if I could, if I just die to see my hometown, I will be happy." But he couldn't. But his family were relatives in China, so they visit several times, and they knew out of North Korea, but they didn't tell me because it's very dangerous. And then my grandma brought lots of clothes and candies, and then tell me wow china is much better than north korea but south korea is much better than china 
So mm. I knew that information and I asked her, I want to be free. And she just gave me the answer, just go to be free. So they wow. are all happy with that. And so I, you, I just want to add one thing, that everything she's saying, there's a story behind it. So she just glossed over four years of preparation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so, but in but, those but tell four us more. years of preparation, I want to know more. she should talk about yeah, tell us more about the preparation. About I want to know more yeah. about the preparation. Go and tell us more about that. Mm -hmm. So four years of preparation, I was almost gave up because it's not easy to find a broker in my hometown. If you were born in Northern North Korea, it's, there are lots of information, uh, many North Korean defectors to go to China and to go to South Korea. But when I was in North Korea, finally I found the broker and I thought I would go to China even though uh, I am sold to Chinese guy, it doesn't matter. It's my purpose, it's, it's just be free. And if I was in China, I would just leave for three years and I would go to the other country. That was my plan. But the broker said to me, uh, you don't need to uh, go to China to be sold. I will send you South Korea. I just asked him, oh my God, South Korea will kill me. Why don't you me um, to go to China, South Korea? And then he said, no, South Korean government accept you as a South Korean. My son also is there, so you are be free. And wow, it's because I got brainwashed, the South Koreans will kill us. But it wasn't true. So for preparation, it's sometimes find the, what is that, the sakipun? I don't know. Fraud, fraud, fraud. Yeah, for the brokers, I spend lots of money. And so, and also your route from place to place. Oh, so, oh, so yeah. He would not get into trouble. Okay. He he knows my story better than me now. <laughs> yeah. So when I leave my country, my family it's in dangerous situation. So I had to prepare for that. So I moved many places. Each maybe every three months, lived with my mom's sister and my uh, uncle's house and my father's house. So. They were not suspicious of my grandparents anymore. So finally, my grandparents said, uh, said to them, the government, I don't know because she moved a lot. So I don't have any responsibility. So four years I prepared this uh, execution, execution? excuse, excuse mm -hmm. for my grandfather and grandmother to be safe. When, when was the last time you heard anything about them? Oh, it's a four years ago or five years ago. Uh, it's quite long time ago. It's I called with my grandmother and she was alive at the time, but I don't know now. That that must be very tough. I mean, that's a, as a personal decision, you've taken the decision to leave your family behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was so tough. If I uh, think about my Actually, my, I grew up with my grandparents. My parents got divorced when I was five. And also, uh, I just uh, didn't much uh, love from my parents, but I got lots of love from my grandparents. So they are my parents. And I called with my grandma, but we didn't say talk much because it was just so emotional. And I don't know what I have to talk. And my accent has changed that uh, South Korean. And sometimes maybe I don't know, am I using the, the Konglish words? Mm. Or so she couldn't understand me. And just cry, three hours, just cry, cry. And at, like at three or four o'clock, 
And what I realized that I sent money too, maybe $2,000 to her. So uh, the broker can get 30% of uh, the money that I sent and 70% she will get it. But after that, uh, the broker stopped to accept my call. And it was hurts me a lot because I worked hard. I had a free job and I had a tuberculosis. I just dedicated to survive in South Korea. But I really want to help my grandmother. I want to say thank you for raising me. So I sent money. That, I, that is the only that I can do for my grandmother and grandfather. But they just, like the broker just stopped calling and stopped contact with me. And what I realized that I would not do uh, this anymore. It pains, it hurts me a lot. And also I had a nightmare after calling with my grandmother. If I see my grand, uh, if I, what if I get the bad news of my grandmother, I would not stand up and to continue my life. So I decided not to call anymore. Just I will remember my grandmother's smile in my mind forever. Okay, now we've got some good questions coming in here. And what I'd like to do is let people put this, these questions to you. Um, <clears throat> so can we open Victoria Barclay's microphone, Isabel? Or we just bring Victoria up. We've got several here coming in. Victoria, can you hear us now? Yeah. People hearing. <laughs> yeah, that, that, Victoria should be able to come on. Victoria, if you, if you just unmute your microphone, you should be able to uh, um, ask the question. And if not, I will ask the question for her, which she says, what, <laughs> what age did you realize you had a separate identity from the one imposed on you by the regime? So how old were you when you were beginning to think that way? I was a 17. 17. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That and and did you tell your friends? Did you, were there other people thinking like you or did you, it was something you'd be too afraid to talk about? No, 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 no. You just keep your secret as a secret because you cannot spread your information. I was going to leave this country. No, it's you will be diverse. Your relatives or it's all, all your relatives will be in concentration camp forever because you're like a, like a short tongue. Yeah. So there is a saying in North Korea, it's, you will be dying due to your short term. It means don't say anything about bad things of North Korea. To always, you're always watching out for what you say. Being mm -hmm, very, very mm -hmm. careful about what you're saying. Okay, Anna Logan. Um, can we bring up Anna's microphone? Um, and then John Candle after that. So Anna, go on. Yes. Uh, well, part of it, answer about how your family would feel about your leaving. But uh, we, I, I think, I think with, uh, um, Anna, your, your, um, your microphone's coming in and out, but I, I heard a bit of that, which was um, how did your family feel about um, you leaving? And, and uh, you said that part of that has been answered. But I'm, I'm sorry we've lost your sound there a bit. So let's, let's go to John, John Kendall. John, John, you ask your question. John Kendall here. Um, I was just going to ask if the routes you took, very roundabout route of escape via, via China and so on, was the, the only way or the usual way that um, people can get from North Korea to South Korea who want, want to leave like you did. It's uh, when we escape, I just throw China and Laos and Thailand. So it took 50 days. But when we escape, we don't have any, cha uh, any choice of which route we can choose. You just have to follow the brokers. 
and uh, sometimes the black workers would send the North Korean woman to to Chinese guy, and then you don't know. But we don't have any choice until uh, the arrive in South Korea. You just follow the brokers. Yeah, right. And and there's I think it's true to say. I mean, Casey, you'll know more about these stories of people who've left. There's also a big, um, there's quite a bit of crossover along that border, isn't there? To Dangdong and further up along the border with, um, with, with, with trade between China and North Korea. Uh, and yeah. there's a big, there's a big um, Korean community within China as well. So there is some, there is some crossover there. Right, sure, right. And there are different escape routes, but as, as Indy said, you follow the broker. Uh, and most people do go across Southeast Asia until about eight years ago, a lot of people were still going up to Mongolia, uh, but that's not as common these days. Uh, and occasionally you have like a, a soldier who is crossed directly across the DMZ, but that's a rare kind of case. Yeah. Simon Jackson, you've got a question. Simon, if we could bring Simon up. Um, it'll take a second to get his microphone. Simon, are you there? Yeah, Simon, go ahead. Yeah. I was uh, following on from what you just said about uh, the the, uh, the, co the community in China. Uh, Jilin was, has just been closed down uh, for an outbreak of um, of the virus, and I was wondering whether um, obviously it, whether whether you think it is likely that that is due to an influx from the um, from across the border. Notwithstanding, despite the fact that the government says that there isn't any that there isn't any um, virus in in North Korea, so the, I guess the question is: is it is it possible for? I mean, we think of North Korea as a hermetically sealed totalitarian state, but the reality is it's not. There there is trade. There are still people crossing back and forth across the border. I mean, what do you think of that idea? Is, is it? Would you think could the could the virus come across the border in some way or other? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. I have no idea what I have to say. It's it's about North Korean news, so we cannot believe all of things. It's isolation country and the CNN and like the Kim Jong-un death news. So let's see if people believe then and some people like don't believe. But one thing that I want to uh, sure about the coronavirus. It's also, it's all of the like world news of the pandemic. So it could happen in North Korea. But one thing that I'm, I'm sure about, there is no freedom to travel. So the infection, the speed is not as much as other countries. That's, I think it's a really good point that um, when you travel through North Korea, I mean, there's, there's, there's no traffic on most of the roads. Um, I mean, you can yes. stand, I have stood in the middle of a, a highway and done a handstand um that's on a sort of six lane highway there's no traffic and, and so one month ago my friend is from also my hometown is wonsan she called with her sister and she asked her sister who lives in north korea and then uh well do you know the coronavirus her sister answered i don't know what coronavirus is and i don't even know what mask is so people in North Korea who don't have food and who has the financial problem, they would not think about coronavirus. They would think about the food first. Yeah. Even though the government says that coronavirus is very dangerous, but for them, the food is more, more like necessary. It's like care rather than carrying the pandemic. 
Can you talk just a bit about medical care? I mean, you talk, you had TB, you got, you got TB on your route when you were coming, escaping, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you were treated in South Korea. But what, what would happen to you if you were ill in North Korea? What would you do? Would you try and pay for medicine? What would you, how would you try and get medicine? So the North Korea is so proud of the free education. And one of the other things is free the treatment. But it's inside of North Korea. It isn't true. You have to pay for everything, even in school also. It's when I uh, when I was tuberculosis. What I why I thought I'm gonna die because I, that I might that was my the perception in North Korea. I was gonna die due to the tuberculosis. The people died. They would not eat nice food, and also the treatment is not good as much as South Korean the hospital uh, hospital. They would not go to, to see doctor too because they don't have money. They will like people who have who doesn't have money. They would not offer the medicine for themselves, so mm. they will just die. And some people we don't go to see doctor. We just go to market to buy medicine. I'll just add two things briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing we had a call with a medical doctor, a former medical doctor in North Korea. And he said, number one, the North Korean system does not have the capacity to even identify the virus, uh, that they're more likely to misidentify it. And then second, he pointed out, as in he said, that it's not free. And he said, North Korea is the only system in the world where the patients even have to buy lunch and dinner for the doctors and mm -hmm. nurses. That's because true. Because everything they must buy, all of the medicine they had to buy in the market. But if you're rich or you're part of the elite and you can get medical treatment, you can bribe and get better treatment. And I think there's evidence that the sanctions um, on the regime have been have, have hit quite hard, both in terms of food. So the trade that we were talking about coming from China has been clamped down. So there's certainly evidence that um, in terms of food supplies, there's, there's less of that. We've, we've read about that. Um, I think um, Philip Godfrey is, is there. If we can bring Philip up in a second, and um, he Philip may have a, a question to ask. But I've also got a couple of questions I want to ask as well. Um, Philip, you go ahead. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me, Nick? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating personal story, um, and thank you for telling it to us. Um, going up a sort of level to the geopolitics of what's going on in North Korea at the moment, are there any prospects of reform uh, I, I get the impression that uh, China's extremely worried about the implosion of North Korea, and so is America, for all sorts of reasons around refugee surges and so on and so forth. So is there any prospect of North Korea going on a, a reform journey of any sort? Uh, perhaps in a way that we thought at one point a few years ago Burma was going on. I know they're very different countries, but what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, th this is a perennial question, and I know we're actually going to come to it um, late, most probably in June. Um, Professor Rudiger Frank is going to be speaking to you regularly. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, one question people are asked is, when do you think the North Korean regime is going to collapse? And, and people give all sorts of predictions, and then, but they've been asking that question for the, l the last 70 years. So um, that gives you some idea of, I think, of its um, longevity, its ability to carry on no matter what the crisis is. But uh, I mean, he, what do you think? What's, what, what are your views? I mean, do you, do you see any chance of change there? Uh, so actually, <laughs> that is a so hard question for me because no one predicts the future. 
So I cannot, but when I heard the North Bank news of death of Kim Jong-un, I was happy uh, that North Koreans can be free like me, but in the other hand, I was so worried about we are not ready to accept that our North Koreans, South Korea and America and China, it's not ready to like uh, embrace of all of North Korean defectors and all, and all of North Koreans because we didn't prepare yet. But it's for me, we needed time to prepare to change the North Korean uh, people. I'm not focused about the North Korean regime and because they would not change anymore. It's over a few, day, like one, um, I don't know, it's mm -hmm. uh, 70, 70 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. The one dictator leads, like one family leads the country. They would not change their power anymore. But we have to change the bottom of people. That was That is my idea as a North Korean defector. So many organization is a cell uh, send the, the, the drama, dramas and also the travelers like you visit uh, the, in North Korea, inside North Korea, people see different uh, the faces and the people see different uh, perspective of lives and then think about, wow, like what I had idea from the media. So that was the, uh, that helps people to change up North Korea. So that, I think that's a really interesting point. There's certainly more and more outside influences that have been coming into North Korea recently. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you've got this young dictator trying to impose his law, sort of pushing back against it. But you also raised another, I think, a really interesting point, and maybe Casey, you could follow up on this, is that there's a difference in South Korea, isn't there, between the older generation, the generation, my generation, perhaps people in their, their 50s, and then the younger generation. And I think the older generation were, would think about unification because they knew about a united Korea, but the younger generation less so. So Casey, perhaps you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, actually, I was in South Korea in the late 1990s. And at that time, if, when people talked about reunification between the two countries, if you were against it, it was like saying you, you hate your mother. I mean, just everybody was for reunification at that time. But South Korea did a lot of investigation into what happened in Germany and uh, government officials visited. And when they came back, they said, wow, this is going to be really difficult and really expensive. And for the first time, South Koreans began talking about the cost of reunification, not just the dream of it. And over the years, the younger generation, they're like, they have no connection mm -hmm. to North Korea. The older generation, I mean, they remember uh, they experienced the war or their parents um, were through it. So there's definitely a change within South Korea. But as far as the regime, I agree with Unhee, there's no reason to think that they're going to change anytime soon. It's like expecting Kentucky Fried Chicken to stop killing chickens. I mean, that's what they do. It's expecting the mafia to stop engaging in crime. That's what they do. I mean, that's how they have the wonderful lives that they have. So there's no reason for them to change. Yeah, it's, it's quite stark, isn't it? I remember in speaking to a family with, of, um, in, in Seoul, or maybe it was, it was elsewhere, um, and there was a stark difference of uh, opinion between the grandparents who are completely in favor of unification, um, mm -hmm. the, the parents who are a bit more philosophical about it, and the younger too, and he's thinking, no way, I, we don't <laughs> want to pay for them. You know, yeah. Why are they going to come in? <laughs> so, yes. and, and I think also the pre that also, um, 
reflects the prejudice as well against North Koreans. People look down on them um, mm -hmm. because they're yes. seen poor and it's they're almost blamed for the for their own situation. Um, Unhi, I want to take you back a bit because I don't I don't think people understand the full complexity of you um, escaping when you were you were younger. Um, mm -hmm. Your mother sent you away. You were sent to an orphanage, um, and mm -hmm. that had a, a big impact on you. And you couldn't you couldn't understand that. That was a very difficult um, uh, part of your life. So maybe start with that, but then also I want you to come on to later. Just just that all the difficult steps you had to take in order to, you know, over those four years actually to get away. So start with your childhood and then let's, let's talk about you moving away from home and the little things you did on the way. Oh, wow. It's, uh, so I didn't speak about my orphanage, uh, my orphanage uh, to people yet because it's, I, sometimes I forgot my past because it was just so tough to face it. So I just get rid of them for a while. And when I had a difficult time, I just like uh, send back to my memories again. Hey, I just went through many difficulties. Why not? That can, I can overcome this situation. So when I was 11, my grand, uh, so, okay, I'll, I will talk about my mom and my dad. So they but just to interrupt you there, that's not unusual, is it? There'll be quite a lot of children who might be sent away from their homes, families that don't stick together. Yeah, it's also, it was very unusual when I was five, it got divorced, your parents got divorced in North Korea, it's very traditional country mm. and very conservative. And I was uh, the only one who uh, like uh, didn't grow up with my parents. And I had to deal with that the, in my erotic group at the time too. And my mom also had a mental illness. So I was just so afraid to speak about my mom. So I always just said to my friends, uh, my mom and my dad uh, just passed away rather than just explain my mom, dad, and got divorced and my mom had a mental illness because there is a, a standard of that. It's if your mom has had a mental illness, you will be also the same patient in your future. I was just so afraid to deal with that. And my grandmother just take care of me, raised me, but sometimes just send back to me, uh, send back to my father, and also just came to my father, came to my uh, the father's house, and then uh, took me again because my mom needed someone who take care of her. So she just like brought me my mom and just forth and back uh, many times when I was children. So I didn't have build my relationship with with my the classmates. And one day, my, my grandmother brought me the orphanage. And she said to me, if you are here, you don't need to pay for studying, just you don't need to pay for food. It's the orphanage to provide all of food. So I grew up there for five years, but I was just so hungry there. I was on only 11, and it was normal to see my, my classmate dad next morning. And I got, got just a fever, and the next morning, just my classmate dead. Just I can't see that body because it's normal. They are so hungry, and they didn't even uh, provide the proper meal. Just like a small, like maybe 20 pieces of corns, and I don't know. It's very hungry there, and I complained to my grandmother. I'm so hungry here. I cannot stay here. So she brought many food all the time, like once a, once a month or twice a month. And I ate a lot because I was too starving there and I got sick. 
just went to bathroom. I couldn't sleep over because it's it's due to my uh stomach. yeah stomach. Yeah. That was my uh childhood, and when I became uh sixteen, I realized that oh, I have parents, but why I had to be orphanage. I'm I'm I don't need to be here, and I complained to my grandmother. And she said, if you don't want to be there, you can be with me. So I just, uh, yeah, get out from her. You, and you don't, you don't have brothers or sisters, it's just you. Yeah, I'm only child. Yeah. It so was you, normal to see. Yeah, so you're used to fending for yourself, looking after yourself. So you're very independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that when, makes me, <clears throat> oh yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I'm, when, when you were on the buses, that was when you mm -hmm. began to save money. When you left for the first time, and don't forget, was it three or four years before you actually crossed the border? Was it two years? Like, what was the gap between you leaving Wonsan and then crossing the border? What did you do to, to look after yourself in, the, in that period? Well, I just uh, left the same year. I left my hometown in 2012, uh, in June, and I crossed the river in 2012 in September. So uh, same so year. Four months. So it's a short period mm -hmm. of time. Okay. Yeah. Sorry very short time but I saved the money for my escaping so I could uh, take a train and to go to northern of North Korea right okay I want to keep keep your questions um, coming please um just write write them down and um, we'll be able to come to you in your your microphone or, or raise your hand um, the, the other thing I remember talking from last time is that just getting getting a train in order to go to the north um, you needed a train ticket. Getting a train ticket wasn't easy either. Yeah, it wasn't easy. So uh, it was a, uh, it was not easy to get the ticket to go to northern North Korea because there is no freedom of travel even in your country. It's to go to other city. It's it's not easy. So you have to buy, uh, maybe a very expensive price in North Korea. I paid twenty dollars but maybe some poor people can live for one month with the $20. So I bought the ticket as $20 and I went there. And also many policies asked me, why don't you go to Northern North Korea? Because they already knew the woman who is single will go to China, will escape. So they suspicious me. Yeah. And but I and asked them, possibly more opportunities for women to escape than men is that right yeah because women are sold to uh, to chinese guys easier for the as a woman that's pretty tragic casey i mean maybe you can follow up on that and that's so the major okay, yeah. vast majority of refugees are women sure but there are a number of factors so if you are a man in north korea you're expected to be somewhere either military or at a company uh, women are considered to be much more superfluous, so that's not really necessary to be somewhere. Uh, the, another factor related to that is that if you're a man, you typically will serve about 10 years in the military. So during those prime years when you may be thinking about escaping, instead you're marching around uh, for the North Korean military. Uh, there are other factors such as the home is typically in the, the name of either the father or wherever uh, the male head of the house. Um, so if he leaves, the whole family can be homeless as a result. Uh, and then there are other factors such as uh, China is a step up. You know, I mean, not trying to judge, but it's a step up for lots of people uh, based on the situation that they're in. 
their brokers and agents in both China and North Korea, recruiting women also to go uh, to China. And some people want to go there for a short time, and then maybe it's difficult to go back. So there are a variety of factors. Uh, and then also just the fact that China had the one-child policy for such a long time. So the result is an imbalance in the male-female population. So farmers and um, parents with handicapped children and others are looking for wives, and they'll look to North Korea to, to get them. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's, um there's so much to talk about. I mean, there are many, many yeah. aspects to this. Um, Andy Mendes, let's bring Andy Mendes up. Um, he's got a question, if we can bring his microphone on. Andy, you're, yeah, we can hear you now, Andy, go ahead. Okay, this is old tech, but it, it just struck me when we were talking about the, diff, the, the, the distancing between North and South Korean peoples, whether there's any comparison with the change that happened in East and West Germany when there was unification in Germany. I think it's a really good question. People, this is this gets asked quite a lot. Like, what are the, are the comparisons? Can we see any signs there? Um, both Casey and uh, and he. Maybe you can tackle that, John. Okay. Actually, we were at a workshop last year that we did with one of the Korean foundations, and Uni was there, by the way, participating in the workshop. And there was a speaker from Germany who said that he rejects the comparisons between the two, and he said there are different factors such as between East and West Germany, they could call each other every day. Um, they could write letters to each other, that East Germans could easily watch West German TV. So, and he said that there was just much more interaction that is difficult to compare um, the way North Korea has just tried to cut itself off from the world as well as from South Korea. Yeah, yeah. I'm, then I'm the, economic, yeah the economic situation the, during the German unification that yeah, the real the between two east west and east Germany economic gap is much higher than the North Korea and South Korea. So South Korea is concerned that uh, spending a lot of money for unification. So we we are not ready to cover and help and reform the North Korean people. So mm. we don't much about much fan of the unification actually in reality in South Korea. I think what people don't realize perhaps is that um, nearly every aspect of your life in North Korea is regimented. If you live in a block, you have an Iminbanjan who keeps an eye on your block and makes sure you behave in the appropriate way. Most of the hours of the day are you know, regimented. You've got to turn up to work. And as Casey was saying, it's the women who've had the freedom to go and, you know, because they've been seen as less important. They're the actual people who've been earning the money um, and actually keeping the economy ticking over. And if you travel through North Korea, you see these big markets with big blue roofs, and that's where people are trading. Uh, and that's where that's really where people are, are finding their, their lifeline. Um, we're gonna have to wrap it up in a bit, but I do, I do want to come back to you, Unhi and just talk a bit about your life now. Um, what have you been doing? What, 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 where do you go? What do you do now? Because boy, your life is so different now. <laughs> yeah, when I came to South Korea, I was alone and I was so mm. suffered to be, uh, to have lots of responsibility, lots of freedom. And then also sometimes I want to just like, uh, I was thinking about my suicide. It's, it's so loneliness in my home. It's nothing there. But now my uh, life has completely different. So now I'm a student who studied business management. And also I can travel many, many countries. <laughs> so I already have been 10 countries 
and met lots of beautiful people and through TNK also today I can talk with you and with uh, your your people and that's what I do and spread my information and want to pay back what I got love from beautiful people. But you still face prejudice from time to time. I mean, do you remember in Australia that incident when you were, I think, was at a checkout in a store somewhere? Uh, the it's it's a, I think I can say that it's there are lots of prejudice in every country, in even Australia, in even England, in South Korea. But I think it depends on person how can you accept it and are you gonna accept it as a negatively or positively? Sometimes the prejudice for me gives me increase. Okay, I will be better person than you. And then let's let's discuss again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got a fantastic attitude it's amazing um alan cardo um I, I do want to get these questions in here there are a few more questions i haven't seen here um so let's bring on alan pardo if we can uh, alan if your microphone is we'll try and unlock alan's alan go ahead uh yes you mentioned uh early on in your uh, excellent address that you had seen uh, i think television from South Korea. Are people in North Korea today able to see television dramas from South Korea or America or Europe or wherever? I cannot say 100% of North Koreans can watch South Korean dramas and American TV from each country. It's due to the DVD and USB. We can watch it on but unless you uh, like uh, you, if you have money, so you can buy DVD and borrow DVD in the market, the black market we call. And also the near South Korea, the area near South Korea, I uh, heard from my friends, they can watch the South Korean entertainment from South Korea. Mm -hmm. It depends on area, but normally we can see the Western movies and South Korean entertainment from USB and DVD in the market, hmm. the buying do you, market. Do you remember when your friend um, lent you the USB to, to watch them? <laughs> remember that? Yeah, so in 2008, I watched the South Korean drama and I was so afraid that I watched it because it is illegal and you could be dying. It's so illegal. It's it's very big deal in, South, in North Korea, so I, deleted all of South Korean content and even though that is my that is not my USB my friend gave me to watch it and I delete all of content and then gave him <laughs> and then he was just so upset but he really liked me and, <laughs> and then okay I would not talk with you and then he couldn't keep uh, keep doing for five days and after five days and he just talked to me again right. <laughs> but it was just able to delete it because it's so dangerous there it, i think it's important to say also that i mean it's a complex situation um north korea does have a telephone network it's a mobile telephone network which was introduced in about 2011 and the yeah. uptake on that was dramatic a really huge uptake of mobile phones and this this made a big big difference because if you remember if you can't trap if you're if you're if you live in one san and your son has been sent to military service on the other side of the country you might not see him for, see him for years but all mm -hmm. of a sudden he can make a phone call or a friend of his has got a telephone and he can actually make a phone call and his family can hear about what's happening to him or maybe here he doesn't have any food so that uh, alongside the videos there were huge huge changes going on um so it is a it is a very complex complex situation 
Anna Logan's got a question. Um, Anna, can we can we bring Anna's microphone back on? Anna, if you're there, go ahead. Yes. Anna. Uh, yes, I don't quite understand, Yunki, what you are doing uh, to, to earn a living, so to speak. Are, are you representing the charity as you travel around, or or are you training uh, to be a professional? Uh, it's, uh, I don't have a job. <laughs> I'm an unemployer. <laughs> I oh. watch students at university, but I travel for my purpose, to see different perspectives of lives. And it's, it's quite fascinating to travel because when I was in North Korea, I never saw the passport because it's, there is no freedom of travel in the North. So it was quite fascinating to travel and then you can realize, oh my God, I am free now. Look at me, I'm in the airplane. That, that moment makes me alive. That's why I travel. Yeah. Uh, you've, yeah. you've, you've traveled to a lot of places as well, and you've, you've um, Australia. Well, tell us where you've been. Uh, it's I think it's oh I, I cannot count it. Sometimes I forgot, but it's the big moment in Australia. I lived in Australia over six months. And my purpose was learning English, so I got working holiday visa, and I lived there. That's why now I speak uh, better than before. Mm -hmm. And uh, Germany. And oh, many, many places. It's, I don't want to take your time. <laughs> and sometimes I travel to go to give a talk in Indonesia, mm -hmm. like with the TNKR. Yeah. Um, Casey, just, I think we'll, we'll wrap things up shortly. And um, everyone, please do stay on because we'll be able to talk among, among ourselves. What, what are your sort of big concerns at the moment? In terms, you've talked about the very, the small numbers coming out, but in terms of the, the refugee population, you, you deal with at the moment? What are the main difficulties? What are the main challenges? Well, I think you should tackle the main challenges for North Korean refugees. Uh, right now, I'm especially a single mom. I mean, the, nowadays, uh, the female refugee is kept from North Korea and settled down in China, but they uh, gave birth a child, married with a South Korean, uh, the Chinese man. Then, unfortunately, they can bring child immediately. So the moms came to South Korea first, then later they bring uh, their child from China. Uh, so uh, nowadays uh, the number of the single moms from North Korean refugees is increased. And then we really, that kind of student also came come to the TNKR for study English because to getting a job is really important for learning English, being uh, independent as a mom. So uh, nowadays uh, we are considering the, the single mom as your intern in TNKR. So we want to support them. So the sp specific group is, I want to say that single mom of North yeah. Korean refugees. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then for us as an organization, uh, number one is yes, help North Korean refugees with English. So that's track one of our program. And then another part of our program is public speaking, such as NNE. And then the third part is employment and education opportunities for North Korean refugees. Uh, because after all the talk and analysis, the most important thing that can help somebody adjust is to have a job. Uh, mm -hmm. The most important thing is that people can, can be um, self-independent uh, and not relying on other people. Uh, but Lenny, I think she might be underestimating or not mentioning that she's been like a TV celebrity, that uh, popular speaker, maybe she doesn't want to talk about it, but 
Yeah, she has some other people are she's in demand in South Korea. I have a YouTube, so yeah, I have my channel. own friends. Yes. <laughs> yes, Liberty Twenty One is yeah. the, her YouTube channel. So she's active doing many things, not just a student. <laughs> well, I had a tune. Fantastic. Liberty 21. Say it again. Say a bit more about it. What do you do on your channel? So, uh, my YouTube channel, the name is Liberty 21. Why I got this name? I escaped when I was 21. So uh, for freedom, that's why Liberty 21. And I want to show to people different perspective of North Korean lives. When you see the media, you will have only one idea of North Korea, but 25 million people have each characters. So I want to show that my character as a North Korean defector. That's why I build my on YouTube. So I do, and also I do radio recording to let people know the English. So they, when they escaped, they can talk with the, they can talk with the people. Hey, where is the police? The, that's why I'm a, the, the, the radio, sometimes radio to record that, that stuff. And also some TV and mm -hmm. YouTube, the yeah. channel. So I do study, but also I do work for mm. North Korean people. Yeah, great. Well, um, I see you've got 11,000 followers on YouTube. That's a, that's a <laughs> lot of followers. That's really oh, crazy. you checked already. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was very quick. She just started a couple of months ago and slowly, slowly, and then explosion. Wow, but I wish I could speak uh, English very well, so international mm -hmm. viewers can watch. I uh, know uh, the, my story too. But it wasn't easy to speak mm -hmm. out in English. Mm -hmm. right. Well, listen, my my um, father, who's eighty eight, um, and he's he lives here in the UK, and he's been listening to you, and he's been very very impressed. Um, wow. and he, want, he wants to say um, he's he. Everyone should think about your example, what you've been through. And that whilst we're all in lockdown, we might be feeling a bit sorry for ourselves, but we just really do need to think about the, the difficulties that North Koreans face and um, the courage that people like you have to sort of face, face, face these kind of challenges. So while we're complaining about what's going on, spare a thought for people in North Korea uh, and, and refugees who are trying to make it out. Um, I think we've got one photo here. I don't know if Isabel can bring up the, the photo. Um, in Wonsan, I don't know if that it might take a few seconds to bring up, um, but I've actually been to Unhi's um, hometown. Um, when? Back, yeah. Um, and if we can bring, there we go. There we go. Where, where, where can you? I know, I know. This is near the port. I know roughly where this is. Can you just yeah. say about where is this Unhi? Where is this? So that is Jimmy Song Statues in a near port, and uh, many, many people. The for for his birthday and Kim Jong-il's birthday, the national national the holidays, we go used to go to here to vow. Thank you for uh, giving us life. Thank you for finding this country. So vow and then bring the flowers. But one thing is, it's uh, I just couldn't stop laughing. Sometimes people bring the flower, and then it's it's money. So after that. Some people just buy the flower from that flower they brought, and then they could use it again. The other to the <laughs> others, and also when people got married, they it's it must to go there to vow for the Kim Il Sung statues. That is the place. Yeah. In my hometown. Yeah. Well, um, I I that was back in 2011. I think you'd have um. Uh, Kim Jong Il's statue, possibly. I don't know if they built Kim Jong Il's statue there afterwards. I don't know. 
Um, yeah, but, it could it could happen with the Kim with the Kim Jong Il because Kim Jong Il is gone already. So, but why don't they uh what where people are? Why only uh, three people here? Um, at that stage, there was nobody on the square. There were a few people on the port with some rust, yeah. rusty old ships fishing. Um, but it was it was it was quite early in the morning. But there was it was it was very quiet at that time. Oh my god, so emotional! I wish I could go there. <laughs> it, like, I, but I except the give me some statues. Without. Yeah, without. without it, yeah. yeah, it could be nice if I see without that one. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me angry now. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, all three of you. I want to say thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really kind of you to speak to us today. Um, so uh, here, here, oh, look at the screen, website yeah. there, great! Yeah. Wow. So wow. The <laughs> website just um, TNKR does great work. Um, please have a look at their website here, so you can donate if you wish. Uh, we will be sending out a link to everyone who's been watching this. Uh, but my mm. thanks um, once again to uh, Uni Park, Unkoli, and Casey Latigue. It's been a fantastic session. Please do stay on the line if you want to chat about this afterwards. That's everyone who's watching the program here now. Uh, next week, we've got a, a very interesting discussion. It's called Annexing Palestine, Netanyahu's push to seize the West Bank. And that will be with Sam Bahor, who's in Ramallah, and Dahlia Scheindlin, who's based in Tel Aviv.